0: Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in a conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. The message of missions is the gospel. We're to be teaching that message to all nations and preaching it to every creature. The first word of our marching orders is go. Getting the gospel out demands seed sowing, and that includes looking for needy fields, which are never difficult to find, and effective methods for getting the seed into the soil of men's hearts. My guest today is missionary James Hoffmeister, and he spent more than 20 years sowing the seed of the gospel in the island nation of Trinidad and beyond. Brother Hoffmeister is one of the most zealous evangelists that I know of, and his church in Trinidad is virtually consumed with getting the gospel out. In today's program, Brother Hoffmeister goes over several different outreaches that he's employed in Trinidad, but we especially concentrate on the tool of evangelistic crusades. Brother Hoffmeister has a lot of experience with this method of evangelism and has even been able to employ it in the work of church planting. In this interview, he walks us step-by-step through how to conduct an evangelistic crusade from preparation to execution to follow-up. So with that introduction, let's get into the conversation. Brother Hoffmeister, you've been in Trinidad now for over twenty years. I have visited your your work there in San Fernando back in two thousand seventeen and it is absolutely a a flurry of outreach activity seemingly all the time. It's it's Charity Baptist Church in San Fernando seems to me to be a hub of evangelism, not only for the community where it's located, but all around that island, and, and I know that you've exported that to other places around the world, some of those evangelistic methods, and I want to talk to you about uh, one of those evangelistic methods in particular, the crusades that you can conduct, but I wanted to start by asking you about what, what are some of the staple outreaches that Charity Baptist uh, does there in San Fernando, and um, what are some of the tools that you've utilized to evangelize uh, the the people there in Trinidad?
1: Well, I'll tell you, thank you for the chance to be here, and uh, there's no greater opportunity than getting the Word of God out. It is the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Amen. And we say that, but if we really utilize getting the Word into the field, it can change the world, and uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. Any way possible to get it to people, you want to exploit that. Sure. Sure. And, uh, we just keep on trying things and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, then you throw it away and try something else. And I think I've probably failed more than I've succeeded, but we just keep on trying something. We do, um, public ministry where our young Bible college students will be on the streets preaching. And then of course, thousands of tracks will go on every week in the public. Um, we, we are very aggressive when it comes to house to house soul winning and, um, Hundreds and hundreds of homes will be visited on a weekly basis because I don't know how to get a harvest outside of sowing seed. Right. So um, it, it's always fun soul winning because I think God told us to go, and uh, a great opportunity we have is in our hospitals. You don't have that um, as much in North America, sure, but in in many parts of the Commonwealth. The hospital's designed the ward design, so it's a giant room with beds around it, and you can go um, from ward to ward, and inside a ward there could be 15 to 60 different people, and you can go witness one at a time, or you can pass out tracts. So any chance we have for our people to get in the hospital has been very effective as well. Sure. Probably my favorite form of evangelism is a long-term approach. It's in uh, religious instruction classes. So most of the Commonwealth is um, under the British system, they still let you go into public schools. So recently we were, I think it was 21 different schools we were in a week. And in those schools you can pick up as many classes as you're able to. And uh, we would go in with a team and you may have three classes or five classes in that school. But then if there's an, a, another religion that doesn't show up, such as the Catholics or Hindus or Muslims, you can go take their class. <laughs> so it's an opportunity to get the gospel out. And for nearly 20 years, we've been in those schools. Wow. And literally, you have a chance to speak to three to 5,000 students a week. Wow. So when you when you figure that over, over many, many years, just about anywhere you go, soul winning, you'll go to a house and somebody knows you. Because at one point in time, you taught their kids in school. Yeah. You can speak at assemblies in public schools. There'll be three to 800 kids. And it's just another chance to develop relationships. People know you just about everywhere you go, and, uh, which gives you open doors continuously. So that is a lot of fun as well. Amen. And uh, you know, may not have everybody in your church who's actively involved in evangelism, but um, as far as on a weekly basis. But they have a lifestyle and a mindset where they'll bring people to church Nearly every service, you have lost people there. So the gospel just continues to work.
0: One of the things that amazed me seeing the work a few years back is is the level of participation that you get from your people, though. I mean, I was there when you guys were doing Vacation Bible School, and perhaps not everybody is involved in those uh, evangelistic outreaches on a, on a weekly basis, but you got to have a lot of help to go into 21 schools I, I saw – just last night I saw your video with doing the doing – the, again, and doing the public outreach, and there were scores of people on the street preaching publicly, singing together. Um, the, the participation I, – I, I suppose that has some a lot to do with the emphasis uh, that, that you've had in the church, but you've been able to inspire a lot of participation among the people and, and been able to convey the importance of this and the role that everybody can play.
1: Well, everybody's needed. Yes. And there is no extra people in the body of Christ. Amen. There's no bonus body parts. We're all valuable asset to what God wants to do. And I I think that ministry is life and life is ministry. And um, if we can get that mindset, we're all called to serve. We're all called to bring people to Jesus Christ. We're all called to reconcile people to the Savior. And... Um, you know, it really takes everybody to get the job done.
0: Well, it's clear that you've conveyed to your people that this is not humdrum. This is not boring. It is exciting to serve God. is It is exciting. There's no greater work than seeing souls come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it's that there's a spirit of, it, of excitement among your people to participate in evangelism. Uh, it would be great. If, it would be great if that if, if more churches were permeated with that kind of the spirit, the participation would be much better. I don't don't know exactly how you've uh, cultivated that, but it's, uh, it's very evident to anybody that would visit there.
1: Well, we want to be passionate about it. We don't want to take soul winning and winning people to Christ as secondary. Sure. You know, we obviously, we love Christ, and we want to do everything because of our love for him, and that's our motivation. But we are obsessed with trying to get the gospel to people. Sure. And I think that's what we should be driven by. I mean, he gave his life, we can give our life. And we want to stay focused. Even you think about the times of lockdown and quarantine, (laughs) and people have become distracted from their purpose. They've become discouraged in their purpose, and they've distanced themselves from their purpose. And I think all of that is just to get people away from what we're supposed to be doing. And when you get back and focused, people are still getting saved, and the work is still getting done. And if we turn off Fox and CNN, I'll just yeah. tell you what can happen. We can actually have the joy of the Lord in our life again. <laughs>
0: Amen. Yeah. Well, in addition to the to the hospital <clears throat> outreach, regular visitation, public ministry, religious instruction classes, and then and then I know you've got the the it's a big deal every year. Um, the Vacation Bible School, Teen Connection, some of these things. You've also utilized evangelistic crusades extensively in Trinidad, and I know you've had quite a quite a few opportunities to take that to other parts of the world. So I really wanted to to talk to you more extensively about that effort because it seems like you've used it very effectively in the field where you're serving to see souls saved and uh, and in relationship to church planting, which is which is if if the work is going to be. If the work is going to be – if there's going to be some longevity to the work, there's got to be a local church. The idea is not just converts. The idea is local churches that can nourish and disciple those converts. So I want you to talk to us about the evangelistic crusades. How were you exposed to this method of evangelism? Where did you learn how to do crusades?
1: When I was a teenager, I traveled with several evangelists in America, and we would do vacation Bible schools and youth crusades as well, and uh, travel with some different men that they would put up tents and do crusades. We don't do that as much as we used to. And some people say it doesn't work effectively in America. I think it's just like a vacation Bible school or teen camp. If you do it right, it's effective. You Mm. do it wrong, you know, it's not worth it. Um, But most crusades that I have seen usually involve churches coming together and having a crowd, but there's not many lost people there. So when we do a crusade, we wanna focus on getting lost people underneath a tent or inside of a church building. And we've had the privilege of probably preaching in 12 to 15 different countries these crusades. Wow. And if the preparation, everything rises and falls on preparation, and preparation breeds confidence. And if the preparation is right, it can be incredible. Because God's word works, but if you don't have any lost people under the tent, how are they gonna get saved? And I was, uh, when I went to Trinidad for the first time, I preached in a crusade. For a week, and they had one visitor. Oh wow! You don't start a church that way. I preached in another crusade, and there was no visitors. There was churches that came together, but no no lost people there, and it, that didn't make sense to me. How how was that going to work? And uh, you, no one's going to get saved if they're not lost. So. Well, it
0: might work for a Bible conference, but for an evangelistic crusade, that's not too effective. You got to get lost people there. So. Well, walk us through it, it to do one of these crusades you're talking about. It really takes a ton of preparation uh, it, and it takes a lot of help. So if you don't mind, walk us through what what is involved in in conducting one of these where it is actually effective, where people come out. Take us take us, if you would, stage by stage of what what. Um, preparatory labor is required to make one of these things well, work.
1: Well, we've done two kinds of crusades. One may be a smaller crusade to reach a specific neighborhood. Maybe they would do an outreach in that, in that neighborhood or running a, a bus to pick people up in that neighborhood. And we target that specific neighborhood. And uh, the goal is to catch everybody in that neighborhood and visit them three to five times.
0: Three to five times.
1: And, uh, and then sign them up. Those are gonna be smaller crusades. You can have tents that'll seat 100 to 150 because it's a targeted area. And uh, you just keep going back every single night and visiting those people. Wow. Um, The larger crusades are more designed for a church plant or a church that's struggling and needs, you know, if you you get people saved, your building fills up. (laughs) Your discipleship classes fill up. Your Christian growth programs fill up you get people saved, your, your offerings go up, your missions goes up. So uh, if you're struggling in some areas, you might just want to go get some people saved. And <laughs> it does help. And uh, what we have done to be effective, and we have done, I don't know how many crusades, but a lot of crusades, and we've learned from every one of them. So y- we, we've made mistakes and, and tried to fix that for the next crusade. And every crusade is a learning platform for the next one. And uh, what we have found, the model that we've kind of created, and we teach classes on this in the Bible College, is uh, we start about two months in advance. Okay. And there's two things that we, we focus on. Obviously, to have a successful crusade, you have to take a lot of work and work hard because you've got to get people under the sound of the gospel, lost people. So we focus on two things. We focus on registering people to come, and we focus on prayer and fasting. So you're going into spiritual battle, And don't think for a moment that you're going to succeed in a spiritual battle without spiritual weapons. Yeah. So every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth night, um, when service is finished, we will have a time of prayer. So the whole church, church wide praise at the end of service. They're not long prayer times, but it's getting people's uh, minds and hearts focused on what's going to happen. And uh, we have sign-up sheets for people that are going to be praying and fasting specific times. Different weeks, we'll have 24-hour prayer times for people as well. And um, so it, it's vital that people spend a lot of time in prayer. And it prepares your people in your church for what's going to happen. Sometimes you'll find when people come from other churches, they haven't been praying and fasting. Sometimes it quenches what you're trying to do. So it's, it's really a spiritual battle, and our enemy is invisible there's no replacing the time of a prayer and fasting that, that goes into that
0: I, I appreciate you addressing that it would it would be easy to think of the these uh, outreaches in terms of the logistical elements and the administrative pieces that have to come together managing people and getting boots on the ground, registration forms and all of that stuff. But if you don't have the power of God involved, if 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 the Lord doesn't get in it, uh, that th- there there is no cookie cutter method for for producing spiritual results, and uh, that having that spiritual component, I mean that's what it's all about.
1: The power is all about Him, right? And we have learned the hard way many many times where <laughs> we've not you know succeeded like God wanted us to, and um, it really is vital that people are praying not only does it prepare them but it prepares the place you're going to be it prepares the hearts of the, of the villages you're going to work in or the cities that you're at
0: well brother i guess that's part of the the with all of the spiritual preparation with the emphasis on prayer and fasting i that certainly is a, a, probably a pretty effective way to energize your your the base of workers it really, people that are praying are are going to be more likely to it participate it when really it comes does. to registering people and making those visits and Uh, the Lord actually puts it upon hearts to get engaged. And
1: it creates a burden. So when that crusade actually reaches, you have a really great participation with your people. So the second thing we do is everybody gets um, their own sign-up sheet where they're going to register 40 prospects, personal prospects, that they're going to be praying for working on inviting every week so you have eight weeks where they should be working on a personal invitation for the prospects on their sheet so it doesn't matter what part of the country they're in they're trying to get their own personal people to get to the crusade now remember i believe statistically 85 percent of people that visit church are invited by someone they know personally right so the best prospects you have happen to be friends or coworkers or acquaintances and uh so each person is is targeting 40 people. And you can pick whatever number you want. Uh maybe if you're starting a crusade you want to start with 10. Sure. Or 25 or what whatever number. The more the better. And when you have active soul winners Filling a a list of forty people is not hard at all.
0: Well, and that's uh, it, so you're we're not t- we're not talking simply about cold calling. We're we're not talking about simply canvassing. You're trying to get the people, whoever whoever is sponsoring the crusade. If you're trying to do a church plan, if your church is doing an outreach in a community, you're trying to get people to involve the people that they know. It's it's still relational.
1: We want we want evangelism to be a lifestyle. Right. It's sure. not something obviously you clock in and do for two hours and then clock out.
0: Right, yeah. Okay, so you got the, the, the prayer and fasting element. You delegate to each participant their their the, the goal of registering 40 prospects or, or 40 prospects. They're praying over them, they're, they're communicating with them. So from there.
1: From there, we draft everybody in the church. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody gets drafted. Okay. okay, so let's say we have a church of 200 people. They get put on four teams. What we did with the last crusade, and I think you've preached at that church in Princess Town. Right. There was 120 people that were on teams in that case. Wow. And um, so that um, that is 30 people, a team. Actually, I think there was a little more involved in that but that town was divided and it's an area of a hundred thousand people is divided into four sections the goal was to visit every house three times so if you start two months in advance you get a flyer into every door you're just letting people know there's something going to happen and that's the first time you blitz through the area the second time you go to register people so we go house to house and i think we had 200 prospect lists already from that area people who knew people and of course they're targeting their specific friends and neighbors in that area or family members that are in that area. And um, uh, then we would register people. So they start registering on the second visit. And I think we registered 1,400 people. (laughs) Now that doesn't mean they're coming, but there's something about when you put your name on a piece of paper, you feel a little more committed. And those people will be added to a a text group or they'll be added to a phone call group, however people want to do it. And they're gonna get communicated with. And then um, a week prior we, we blitzed the whole area again. The same way. We continue to reiterate that. And actually two two days a week you're trying to go through those areas with your team and continue to sign people up. So it's not a it's not a one time or two time visit. You just you know, you make it make it a process. Sure. And um, People it, that are lost start getting excited about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work, though. It, it, it would be—we uh, it, it, wouldn't want to get the idea. I mean, it would be easy to show a supporting church, a uh, maybe a video clip of the crusade, people being dealt with and so forth. That is—there's <laughs> a whole lot more to it than scheduling a service and setting up a sound, a sound system.
1: I think before the crusade actually happened, there was about 2,000 man-hours wow. put in place— before it happened.
0: Wow, and so, that's what that that's that's what uh, the spiritual preparation, the man hours. That's what leads to success in terms of in terms of making this thing work. It's not going to make. It's not going to produce. It's bottom line.
1: The right. bottom line is you got to go prepare yourself. And I've seen so many times people put up a tent, rent a building, and unlock the door, hang a sign, and they wait for people to come. It doesn't happen. You got to go get them. Right.
0: So during the week of the uh, of the crusade, how how do you conduct the service, and and I'm especially curious about the uh, the invitation. I've been I've been with you when when you're dealing with children, and it's and and that can be pretty sketchy when you're you know when you're dealing with kids. You've you've developed a system that's very thorough. You've got a lot of help. The people that you're working with are thoroughly trained in personal work and leading somebody to Christ so uh i'd like for you to talk a little bit about how you conduct an invitation but walk us through the week of the crusade and the services
1: okay so those people that are registered to come is is now our top prospects we work very hard in preparation but when the crusade starts we get the teams together and we say now it's time to relax and we're just going to enjoy serving god we're going to soak up some preaching we're going to enjoy the singing sure. and we're going to have fun So we make serving God a blast yeah, and we enjoy what we do. And of course, people are gonna get saved. That's just how God works. You sow the seed and the seed bring forth a harvest. But uh, those 1300 people we registered, they're divided by whatever team they're on. And every day that team is to contact those registered people. So if they don't come one night, they're gonna get a text, they're gonna phone call, an encouragement to come the next night. And they may not come till the third night or fourth night, but however it is, it gets them under under the tent.
0: Sure, and then the night of the the I mean all of this the goal is to preach the gospel to these people. Yes, sir. We, we don't want we, we don't the, the 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 effort has not been successful until the word of God has been preached to the people, and that's really where they where the emphasis is. And so, I appreciate you mentioning That you, you you have to tell your workers, all right, let's 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 actually enjoy church now. We've worked hard. Here's the reward of your labor. Go in there and enjoy the presence of God, the preaching, and and seeing people respond. So.
1: You know, it's, it's very important that you have a preacher who comes in and preaches gospel and I've been, had crusades where people came and preached on the family and preached on prophecy, preached on topics that are good topics, but you got lost people there and they're not going to understand having a godly family until they get saved. They're right. not going to understand the value of prophecy until they, they get born again. So, you know, like a arrow that is shot, you're shooting at the heart of man with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's, that's what it's all about. So when we start the crusade, crusade night, we try and get our workers there an hour and a half early so they can start collecting, calling, texting, trying to get their people there, their visitors there. And then we start singing. Our singing group starts singing an hour before, make sure the practice prepared. 30 minutes before s- service starts, we'll have music going. And whether that's live music, sometimes we'll have singing groups singing. And it begins to draw people in. You've got to make much of what you're doing. So sure. cra- people will pass by your crusade, and if there's one dim light bulb hanging there, <laughs> they're not going to value what's taking place. Sure. So you get as much light up as possible. We rent a sound system that goes two miles, <laughs> which which in our country, they play music five miles away for cr- Carnival and for their fets. So there's, they have no shame in that. And when the preaching takes place, and you can go two miles, people actually love it. I mean, you have people of other religions that love the music and love the preaching. You do it in a, in a way that honors and glorifies God. It's not obnoxious. It's not rude. And you'll find people by the hundreds that come and sit on their porches. They don't come under the tent, but they're listening every single night and they enjoy it.
0: Right. And is that that may be a bit uh, cultural specific in terms of the the reach of that sound from the from the tent. But you got to uh, figure out what works. Where you're at, you're actually reaching more people than show up in that, that, that case. That is correct.
1: Yeah. We had one crusade downtown our city, and it was in a major park, and that sound went two miles. We had uh, probably three to 500 people that told me, Pastor, we listened every night.
0: <laughs> Didn't even, sh- never showed up, but listened to the entire correct.
1: thing. Correct. In that park, you had you had about 100 people playing football while the crusade's going on. You had another 200 people walking, yeah. and they're getting preached the whole time. So you'd have sometimes 100 people standing outside the tent. And... uh the word of God works in their heart. Yeah. And sometimes by the third night they're coming in and sitting down. Amen. And you just keep doing the work and uh, God does the rest.
0: Broadcasting. That mm-hmm. that's it. There's nothing wrong with that seed. Sometimes we're surprised where it springs up.
1: Yeah, well that's God's job and He does it well.
0: Amen. So the 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 objective obviously that this is an evangelistic crusade, it's not a Bible conference, not a prophecy conference, not a family meeting. The objective is to see sinners converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel's gotta be preached. How, how do you go about uh, conducting an invitation? How do you go about dealing with dealing with those that respond? What's the procedure that you've seen to, to be most effective?
1: There's several things that build up to that. You know, I think it's really valuable to have really good music, well-practiced people, singing, um, everything that is run smooth, run on time, and quality music. People that are lost appreciate that even <laughs> sure. in the countries where we are, and that means a lot to them. The other thing that's very valuable in a crusade is to have people that were lost, got saved, got changed their life stand up and give a testimony
0: oh i can I can say that being very effective
1: <clears throat> so we'll have four to six people to service, and it works fast. we give them about ninety seconds and we explain to them and here's the process of testimony how how you were uh, it's three parts who you were before you got the gospel, how the gospel worked in your heart, what God's done for you since then. Right. When you're done with your testimony, you let people know, listen, you're not saved tonight. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. And that is very, very powerful. I mean, because you'll have Hindus, you'll have Muslims, you'll have Catholics giving testimonies and they're standing up and saying, I was a Catholic. I was a Muslim. I was a Hindu. And guess what God did for me? Amen. That's before the preaching. Right. And then, uh, uh, when the preacher gets up, of course, he's just shooting like an arrow the gospel. And uh, we don't try and go long. We, we get the message out as well it can be done. When the invitation takes place, inside of an auditorium or inside of a tent, we have men on one side, ladies on the other side. So when people come forward, there's a process of doing it effectively. We'll have a main tent, but then we'll have additional tents outside. And one of those tents is specifically for soul winning. If we have two tents set up for that, we will have one for the ladies, one for the men. And we want to remove all distractions. We have tents for nurseries, uh, specifically because when the children, the babies come, we want to separate them so the parents can get the gospel very clearly without distraction, and, and that's important. So when the invitation uh, takes place, people will come forward. Now, because they come from a variety of religions, uh, they don't understand everything clearly. And me as a preacher, it's it's difficult to try and communicate everything in 30 or 45 minutes that a Hindu, Catholic, and a Muslim need. For sure. <laughs> There's so much confusion. So we will have them deal with somebody one-on-one and take the time specific to their needs so they can understand what is taking place.
0: Well, I, I understood that to be the procedure. I think, that's, I think that's critically important because I do think that it's possible to – there are some fields where, where results become sensationalized, and where where people are where where culturally people are just compliant. They're agreeable. They want to they want to uh, please the, the the foreign preacher, and so having that opportunity for so the gospel has been clearly conveyed both in the testimonies and obviously in the preaching. But to have, an, to have a soul winner to personally deal with somebody who's responded, to, to answer questions, to make sure that there's an understanding, uh, it seems to me that's critically important to, to making sure that people are genuinely converted.
1: Well, the most important thing in the whole world is your salvation. Yeah. Isn't the last thing we want to do is rush that.
0: Or confuse people about it. Or confuse it. that. Right.
1: And uh, so we take whatever time is necessary. And we understand there's a dynamic where sometimes they just want to do what you tell them to do. Or there's a dynamic where people just want to get insurance, spiritual insurance. <laughs> right. And in some cases, they want to add Jesus to their collection of gods already.
0: Sure.
1: <clears throat> and we don't want to lie to ourselves and think someone's getting saved when they're not. Sure. That is not our motive at all. And we want to, we, we, you know, the, after salvation, we're going to be friends and family with these people for the rest of our lives. We're looking at the big picture. Right. We want it done properly. And uh, the whole goal is to get people lost. You get them lost, God can work in their heart about Amen. their need of salvation. Amen. And salvation is not a hypothetical thing. It's not a hope so. It's a no so. And when you get saved, you know it. And the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords comes inside of you. You know, it's not an accident. Sure. And it's not because he s- snuck in undercover. And you can't keep them inside. You'll start popping out here and popping out there, and and you got saved. It changed your life. And um, when you're giving the gospel to people, and sometimes they're just you know they're trying to make you happy. That's not our goal. For us to be happy. Our goal is for them to get saved, truly born again. And uh, we'll get them lost. Tell them about Jesus Christ and how he he died to save them. And then we leave the choice up to them. Amen. Said the option is yours. And we tell them you can get saved today or tomorrow or next week or next month. And what we've discovered is they realize they're lost or in their conviction. They want to get saved right now. And if they're not, and they say, well, let me just think about it. That, that tells me something very clearly. Not only did I give them an out where they're being honest with me now, because I could talk them into anything they want sure. or I want for them. Yeah. <laughs> That's not my goal. Cause I'm lying to myself thinking I did something effective when really I probably made them unreachable. And, um, so at that stage, we give them an out, and if they say, "Well, let me think about it for a while," or "How about next week?" we set up another appointment where we can go through the gospel with them again.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: And uh, we try and move a step forward, and sometimes it's two, three, four, five times.
0: Well, it seems like another element of the uh, critical element of the preparation is is having personal workers who are properly trained, who whose expectations are appropriate who know how to field the questions and have some sense of spiritual discernment. And they're not trying to get a notch in their belt. They're trying to see sinners come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, that's uh, when, when you have a small army army of competent personal workers, uh, it seems like this, this could be very, very effective in, in seeing souls saved. Now, you touched on something. The, the other element that, uh, that, I, that I wanted you to address here is the, the follow-up. Because the idea certainly is not just to get a decision on the night of the crusade. The idea is to see sinners converted and then ultimately to grow in grace, to get plugged into a local church, to be discipled, and and to— be nurtured into Christ's likeness. And uh, I guess one element of the follow-up is the evangelistic side, because not everybody gets saved the first time that they're dealt with, and to, and to leave the thing open-ended and give them the opportunity to have follow-up just about the gospel. So how do you address, how do you handle the follow-up element?
1: Well, inside of a crusade, uh, sometimes it does worry me if people get saved the first night. <laughs> sure. You know, and don't take that in a wrong way. People can get saved any time. But sometimes if they soak a little bit in the Word of God, they understand it more clearly. Amen. And maybe they get a little more lost, if I can use that terminology. (laughs) But um, many times they get dealt with, and maybe they're not ready. Maybe they don't understand. We encourage them. and We'll send workers back to see them the next night and try and get them back under preaching again. And uh, we see most effectively the last two or three nights where the same people have been dealt with you know, really get saved, and that's always a blessing, and it's always fun. So our process is once someone gets saved, they come out of a soul winning tent, and uh, they will go straight to one of the secretaries. The secretary has a sign-up form. Usually we'll be standing there, and they'll bring and introduce that person, the decision they made, and I'll explain to them, listen, and we do this in church as well as at a crusade. You know, now you've been saved, the Bible says you're a baby. Christian, Babies aren't supposed to stay babies. They're supposed to grow. And the church is like a team. The pastor's the coach. We want to work together and help you grow. I'll ask them the question, what can I do to help you grow? They have no idea. <laughs> they just got saved. But I want them to realize the next step is growth. And uh, if we don't grow, you know, our, our growth is stunted. We're in trouble. So and I said, we have a Christian growth program for you. Can we register you for that? I would say 95% of people immediately say yes. So before they even leave the desk, they're already registered for a Christian growth class. And um, uh, in, in the church plant you were talking about, there was 60, I think 66 adults that made a profession of faith. And the following Tuesday, we had forty-eight of those in a Christian growth class. Yeah, that's that was tremendous. That were brand new. Right. And uh, that's the that's the whole step is to get them as quick as possible. So four days later, they're in a class and we made much of that, visit them several times between now and then. And from that, you just continue to work with those group of people and keep getting the word of God into them. And whether you call it discipleship, Christian growth, mentorship, whatever you call it, just do it.
0: Amen. Well, that's a that's 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 the deal. That's the the commission is not just evangelism; it's the discipleship element. And I think uh, having that mindset going in is, I mean, we're, we're, the job's not done until that until the discipleship element is observed and pursued. So that's uh, that's important to the to that to that model. Um, so you mentioned this. Uh, what what do you see as both in your experience and and the potential of this of this as a tool for evangelism and church planting. What is the relationship between the evangelistic crusade and church planting? How have how have you used that in church planting? How do you think that this could be used in some places to really get a uh, get a jump start to establishing a local church?
1: I have seen a lot of crusades that were large, but nothing came out of it. I mean, it was good, there was maybe people got saved and they went to an individual church somewhere. But I think so much work to be effective goes into a crusade. I think you should start, start a church from it. And I think you can you can do that. And uh, I believe Christians should disciple Christians. And pastors should train pastors. Sure. And churches should start churches. Amen. So the mindset of sending one person out on their own by themselves is very myopic it's small-minded thinking i'm going to let this guy spend 10 years what 120 people can do in several months and you can give him a jump start now the people get saved some people will tell you it takes 3 sets of people before a church is established you'll lose some of the people but those people that you first reach will reach the next generation in your church and they'll reach the next generation and however people want to digress into that formula, um, it's not always consistent, obviously. But I think it's invaluable to use a large crusade like this to be effective.
0: Your work there in Trinidad, this, that's the first time that I've been exposed to this, to this model of uh, evangelism, to be honest with you, and to church planting. Um, as a student of church history, I recognize that something along the lines of what you've described— um, maybe in in many cases uh, less organized and intentional, to be honest with you. But but God has used these kind of uh, camp meetings in in um, in church history in America in a different period of church history in America, um, and then in the last in the last century or more, this is God has used these kinds of efforts in a great great way. Over the course of church history, just in America, to see churches established, to see sinners converted, and uh, to 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 see to see the church move forward and 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 the work of God grow, um. I don't know. You mentioned that if it that if it's done right, that it can still be done in the states. I, I, I think that we would agree that the, the spiritual atmosphere of our of our country is changing and has been changing and is different than it was in the times where those camp meetings, let's say, in in the in Tennessee and Kentucky 100, 150 years ago were used so effectively. Um, do you think that this do you think that this would work? In, are there particular is there a particular field where you feel like that this is you've this is most effective you've mentioned being in a dozen plus countries and using this method of evangelism
1: I think a church can be started anywhere if you go soul winning 20 to 30 hours a week everything takes work right I have seen this work in Canada okay the, the Crusades correct uh, I've seen this work in New York I've seen this work in Texas and you've watched people, uh, 25 people saved a night, adults saved a night. But that is because you have a group of 100 and 150 people going out and you're working and you're signing up and you're registering and you're putting people uh, in place and you're bringing prospects into the gospel because the gospel works, but you gotta get lost people there. And uh, unfortunately, very few people put the preparation time in to make something effective.
0: Sure, sure. Tell me about uh, – you mentioned going what, – what are, what are some of the, the favorite crusades that you've done? You've been all over the world doing this stuff, the Philippines, India, uh, various places in the West Indies, uh, the United States. What are, what are some instances that, that you've really seen the Lord work in a mighty way that, that have been a great blessing to you personally?
1: Well, I love preaching anywhere lost people are. <laughs> um, New York City and Queens, um, they do a crusade up there every year. And there's a lot of West Indians there. So I love to sit inside the American dynamic, speaking to cultures that are foreign inside the church there. Um, they have 30 different cultures and about hundred people. And it's an incredible opportunity right here in America. And you can preach right there outside in a park and they yeah. set up every night and they pass out about 20,000 invitations and you'll have 150 people, two services a night, and people get saved every single night. Cuz the word of God, it works. Yeah.
0: Brother, that's an interesting that's an interesting uh, you know, interjection there that it's it I'll be honest with you, it's hard it's hard it's it's so difficult today or more difficult than in than in previous times to to I think get uh, a lot of Americans. It's hard for me to imagine taking this to most places in Western Europe and getting a ton of people under the tent. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying that it couldn't work, but it's not the same as going to the Philippines or even Trinidad, perhaps. But in the states, uh, there's every culture under the sun here. There are pe- there, there are people that are not that are not overeducated and spiritually jaded in this country. It's easy to paint with a broad brush and think, well, that was a dip for a different season in, in, in the history of the church, in the history of the United States, or the history of Europe. Uh, man, God's brought the world to us, and uh, those, folk, those, those folks won't just get under a tent in, in India or the Philippines or Trinidad. They'll do it in Queens, New York.
1: You know, people will go when they're invited by somebody who loves them and cares for them. Yeah, yeah. And and really, most of those times where people say it doesn't work, um, they put very little effort into it. You pass out 2,000 tracks and expect a harvest. (laughs) No, you should be shooting for 50, 75, 100,000. You have the workers to do it. You have the time to do it. The hardest thing you'll ever do is start a church. Sure. And if you're going to be effective at starting a church, it's going to take you 60, 80 hours a week but people enter the idea in their mind, I'm gonna go start a church. They don't realize and they don't count the cost. This is gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done. <laughs> I'm talking about the first one, the second one, the third one, until you understand the most effective ways to do it. But every country is gonna be different. But what you're looking for is you're looking for the place where you connect with people. Sure. You go into a city and people are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and then they're commuting an hour and a half one way to work at what point in time do you connect with them to give them the gospel? <laughs> right. New York City, some of the most effective places to connect is inside a laundromat.
0: Uh, right.
1: Even on the subway, it's a few moments their mind is free, they may not wanna be even even uh, bothered. So you can go to Canada, some of the most effective t- places, you take place in a, in a rural area of Canada is inside of Tim Hortons, <laughs> and you're connecting with people that have stopped having a conversation and now you can connect with them. In every part of the world, there's a place where you can connect. Sure. It may be on a football field in Peru. It may be it may be fishing on the Amazon. But you got to find out where people slow down enough where you can connect with them. For some people, it's a baseball field. Sure. You got to identify that and, and and adjust accordingly.
0: So I was asking you last night about uh, about. I'd asked you if you had been to India and you were telling me a little bit about conducting a crusade there. Would you tell our listeners a little bit of that? That sounded like a very unique scenario, the way that, the way that went off.
1: Well, the people that put that together did a really effective job and they had people driving from 30, to 45 minutes and buses prepared and that kind of thing. And there was, there was, I don't know, three to 5,000 people there, depending on the night. And it was translated into five different languages. So... Uh, and it, and many people every night would go home and the police would stop them, stop their bus, pull them off the bus and, and you know, beat them with sticks. <laughs> They'd come back the next night. Wow. So there's, there's <laughs> opposition everywhere you go. Sure. Um, but the opportunity is religion is empty outside of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you hear names of religions, Hinduism, Islam, Roman Catholicism, and you say, well, they're staunch. Nobody is staunch when they're confirmed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Amen. He knows how to knock down every door and remove every roadblock. And inside, don't fool yourself, inside of those people, they're empty. False religion makes you fake. And uh, everybody, you know, is getting a tug and pull from God. And the opportunity in any religion is, is incredible.
0: We met a brother uh, there in, in your church in Trinidad a few years back. And, uh, he was, he, if I recall, he was, uh, we were riding with him. We were, he was, he was showing us around a little bit and, uh, you, you probably would, I I don't recall his name, but he was raised a Hindu. His back, his background was Hinduism. He was, uh, working in Japan Of all places, he had gone. He was working for a a automotive manufacturer. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, sir. And he was in Japan. Of all places, a a Trinidadian Hindu uh, on a business trip in Japan. Somebody gave him the gospel. The man got saved the first time that he heard the gospel. And there, years later, he is a part of his local church, plugged in, being a blessing, getting the gospel out, helping. In this case, a, a an American group that's on a mission trip. I think about that sometimes brother Hoffmeister, and and am just reminded of the of the power of the gospel we sometimes because we're not seeing the the fruitfulness that we would like to see I'm afraid stateside we're, we're sometimes cynical a little bit cynical about how people will respond to the gospel the power the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation yes, it does not fail and the, and the and the the role of the church the business of the church is to sow that seed. And find a way, however, however that is, to get the gospel to sinners. And, and God, does the, God does the rest. Whether it's an evangelistic crusade or having a conversation at a coffee shop in Canada, uh, the gospel works.
1: Yeah, you find that place to connect anywhere in the world. In China, you have your own unique places. In Japan, you have your own challenges. But uh, keep trying. You may fail throw that plan away, try something else. You Amen. may fail again, throw that plan away. Try. Something. I've, <laughs> we failed more than we succeeded. And we see failure as an opportunity Amen. to learn from. And every crusade, we try and learn from that. We were in the Amazon one time, and uh, literally, they're bringing us 200 people every hour to preach to. <laughs> every, every student in that town, from preschool to university, was brought Wow. It's a town of twenty five thousand people. So we're getting we're getting uh two hundred an hour. That's what they would bring us. That's all the building would hold. We preach the gospel. People get saved every hour. They get registered, <laughs> sent to a pastor right there. And uh every I preached eleven times that day. Wow. And what went through my mind was how can you stop? I gotta preach again. People are getting saved every single hour. And that's this power of the word of God. Amen.
0: It really is amazing, and and um, there are places around the world where where they're not bringing 200 people an hour and they're not scores of converts, but there are places where people are being converted. It we 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 best not uh, lose sight of the fact that. For, for however difficult we may perceive our field to be or however limited our results may be, and that may be, we may be responsible for those limitations. Somewhere, right now, somebody is getting the gospel and trusting Jesus Christ, being born again. That's what it's all about.
1: Well, I grew up in Alaska, and the harvest field up there is a little slower. <laughs> but I dare challenge people, if you put the time in, the word of God works anywhere in the world. Amen. Amen. And there's no shortcut to putting the time in. There's no shortcut to getting the seat out. And I have from my experience, and not to be critical, but from my experience, most people are not putting the time in. Sure. And we have failed. I have failed. And I'm trying to do better to be more effective in preparation. Whether it's just soul winning or whether it's just spending time with people in in your neighborhood, in your rural community. Or in the city. There's people everywhere. Sure. And there's people looking for the gospel.
0: Amen. That's a that's a great place to wind up our conversation. Thanks, Brother Hoffmeister, for what you're doing there in Trinidad and around the world. And I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with
1: us. Thank you, Brother Lee. God bless.
0: I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you've ever considered doing an evangelistic crusade or if you've been looking for some form of outreach to kickstart evangelism and even church planting in a new area, I'd say the interview with Brother Hoffmeister could be extremely informative and encouraging. And if nothing else, I hope this conversation has stirred and motivated you to be more engaged in evangelism wherever you may be serving the Lord. If you'd like to communicate with Brother Hoffmeister directly about evangelistic crusades or ask further questions that weren't addressed in the course of this conversation, you can find his email address in the program notes. As always, I appreciate you joining me for today's program. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee. By email at Great Commission Conversations at Gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.